Tanisan, William and the Laws of Nature Tanisan put down the empty washing basket and fixed her gaze on the insufferable William, her furry feline frenemy. At the time, he was sat on the fence at the end of the garden, looking down into the pool with intense concentration. It was only a very small pool. Tanisan had had it installed the month before and had introduced into it a single pond frog in the hope that she could gain its favour and recruit it as a spy in her ongoing turf war with the stray cats. However, as frogs go, it proved to be a taciturn specimen and disappeared without a croak two days later under very suspicious circumstances, mentioning no names. Only the feet were ever found. So whatever it was that William was looking at, it was not the frog. Tanisan wandered over to the edge of the pool and gazed down into its pellucid waters, and the first thing she noticed was a rather unusual beetle that had taken up residence there. Now, when I say unusual, I don't mean in its outward appearance, which was standard beetle fare, but in its behaviour, which was anything but. She'd seen insects moving up and down across the surface of water before, but had never seen one scuttling along the underside of that surface, as if it were a sheet of glass. And while she liked to think of herself as being as tolerant and open-minded as the next person, this struck her as fundamentally wrong. Excuse me, she said, knocking on the water like an angry landlord calling out a disruptive tenant. Could you step out here for a moment, please? The insect popped its head up and grinned at her. Oh, hello, yes, it said brightly. How are you? Never mind all that, said Tanisan. Would you mind telling me what exactly it is that you think you're doing? How do you mean? shrugged the beetle. Tanisan gave an irritable sigh. She was not about to take any nonsense off this or any other pond life. Don't play the innocent with me, she said. You know precisely what I'm talking about. You were parading up and down on the wrong side of the water and disturbing the other residents, if any. And now you've been caught out. Caught out? queried the bug. Yes, insisted Tanisan, who then had to think of a valid reason for having made that assertion. Caught out. Caught out, breaking the laws of nature. And that's not allowed. What have you got to say for yourself? I wasn't showing off, lied the beetle. It's the way I move. There are things out here that are trying to eat me. I was just trying to get the jump on them. Yes, well, I really don't see how walking upside down along the undersurface of my pond achieves that, said Tanisan. Find another way, because that's just weird. Sorry, said the remorseful Coleopteran, which then turned the other way up and went about its business. And I should think so too, nodded a stern-faced Tanisan as she watched him go. As far as she was concerned, that was the end of the matter. But then the following morning, she happened to glance out of the window and saw William sitting on top of the fence again, looking down at the water feature. In Tanisan's mind, this could only mean one thing, that the pond's latest resident had ignored her completely and gone back to doing what it wanted to. In a fit of anger, she threw down the washing-up sponge and marched out into the garden. But the wily bug saw her coming, and quickly flipped over before continuing across the pool in the standard fashion taking long, leisurely strokes. Morning, it said as it swam back and forth in front of her. Lovely day for a swim. This left Tanisan 
at a loss for words, which was an achievement in itself. Nonetheless, she resolved to keep a much closer eye on the situation from then on, and what she witnessed over the next few days had the undesirable effect of bringing out her jealous side, as it became increasingly apparent that William and the Beetle were getting rather chummy. From her special hiding place behind the kitchen blind, Tanisan watched with resentful eyes as they lay together in the shade of the ginkgo tree, ran about the garden, climbed the fence and pounced on each other from behind walls. Well, of course, Tanisan being Tanisan, she couldn't go on bottling up those feelings forever. So she waited until William was on his own one afternoon, lying in his favourite spot on top of the garden fence, before confronting him about it. What kind of stupid cat makes friends with creepy crawlers? She remonstrated from below, being far too short in the general leg area to reach him. It's not normal and it's not hygienic. And don't think for one second that I don't know what you and your new playmate are up to, because I do. It would pay you to remember that I am the human in this situation and humans know much more than cats and beetles put together. And don't think that about me, she added, pointing an angry finger at him. During the first part of this tirade, William just lay there calmly observing her from his spot in the sun. But then about halfway through, he began to get bored with it. So he cocked one leg up into the air and proceeded to lick his bottom, which would have undoubtedly gone down as his principal pastime had he ever been asked to put together a resume. And so it continued for the next few days, with William and his new pal doing exactly what they wanted to and laughing at Tanisan behind her back. Or at least, that was how it seemed to Tanisan. But then a week or so later, something odd happened. Something that not even she, at the very height of her beetle fueled paranoia, could have foreseen. Early one morning, she woke up in her cosy bed, only to see a huge festering poo hanging from the ceiling above her. Shifting smartly out of the drop zone, she noticed that there was a trail of muddy paw prints leading from the open window, high up in the corner of her bedroom, all the way across the ceiling and out through the door. It was obvious what had happened to anyone with a scoop of brain. William had acquired new beetle skills. Following the tracks out onto the landing, she discovered that every room on the upper storey had been explored from that peculiar orientation. The poor prince then crossed over to the stairs, went down to the ground floor where the pattern was repeated, as if William had been searching for something. Eventually, Tanisan traced them through into the kitchen where they headed across to the cooker, down the wall and over to the table where they suddenly stopped. She bent down and looked underneath. There was her shoulder bag. Placing it on the tabletop, she checked the contents. Everything was there apart from her smartphone, which was very strange. What could William possibly want with that, she wondered. And then it struck her. A month or so before, she'd set a trap for him. Do you remember how she'd once had to rescue him from a little girl who had dressed him up in frills and bows and ribbons? Well, it had always been to Tanisan's immense regret that she'd never thought of taking some pictures of him while so attired, as they may have come in useful at some future date. But then she realised that it wouldn't be so very difficult to recreate that situation. So she took a sheet of cardboard and cut a hole in it for his head. On one side of this hole, she drew a cat's body all decked out in fluffy pink bow peep outfit, complete with bonnet, bows and shepherd's crook. 
She then taped the sheet across the kitchen doorway with the picture facing inwards, placing an open can of tuna in front of the hole. All that remained then was to watch and wait. It wasn't long before William came sniffing round the kitchen doorway, keeping a watchful eye out for Tanisan, who was concealed beneath the table, camera phone at the ready. Being an astute and highly capable adversary, he realised that it would be very risky to climb over the cardboard barrier to get to the tuna, because it would then be difficult to make a quick getaway if there was a trap waiting for him on the other side. Yet as it turned out, he was only playing into Tanisan's hands, for no sooner had he put his head through the hole to get to the fish than she leapt out of the shadows and began snapping off pictures of him, his startled features framed like the perfect Abigail by that nursery rhyme scene. In a panic, he tried to reverse out of the hole, but his head was stuck, so he yanked and yanked until the whole sheet of cardboard came away. With what was ostensibly a giant wing around his neck, it was nigh on impossible to make a swift exit across the yard and over the fence without getting caught up on things and or losing his balance. But as it transpired, that wasn't necessary for the very simple reason that Tanisan wasn't chasing him. She'd already got everything she needed on the memory card of her smartphone, thank you very much. Flash forward to the present and the tables had turned. Now William had the pictures, along with a brand new set of beetle skills, which put Tanisan at a serious disadvantage. So the first thing she did after discovering that her phone was missing was to march straight down to the pool to evict its latest resident, scooping up the insect with a drinking glass. But you've got it all wrong, complained the poor little creature as she carried it back to the house. I'm not his new best friend. I don't even like him. He basically chased and bullied and threatened me until I told him what he wanted to know. There were certain scores to be settled, he said, and he was going to settle them. So on pain of being eaten, he made me teach him how to climb along a smooth surface like an insect. And now you're going to teach me, said Tanisan, as she placed the beetle on the kitchen table beneath the inverted tumbler. And you'd better make it snappy, because you've only got so much oxygen left in there. The unfortunate bug, caught up in a conflict between two implacable adversaries, didn't know which way to turn. But before you were complaining that I was breaking the laws of nature, he protested. Oh, just forget all that, said Tanisan with a wave of her hand. That was then. This is now. What you should be focusing on is your immediate situation. Think about that. The beetle looked about at its glassy confines. This may sound like an odd question, it said, but have you ever considered a career in politics? Either way, you actually happen to be right on this occasion. For you to do what I can do would be breaking the laws of nature. Well, that can't be right, said Tanisan. You have a brain the size of a pinhead, whereas I have a giant one, which means that I can do everything you can do, plus a great deal more. But it's not about brains, is it? said the beetle. Why are you humans so obsessed with them? It's about gravity and muscle ratios and intermolecular forces. It's about me having these sticky pads on the bottom of my feet, it explained, pressing its front legs against the glass. So how come William was able to do it then? complained a rather disgruntled Tanisan. Well, cats have pads too and that gives them a head start. Plus the fact that they're already excellent climbers, whereas you, well, 
let's just leave it there, shall we? said the beetle, not wishing to provoke her any more than was necessary. No, no, say what you were going to say, insisted Tanisan, looming over her captive in a way that only Tanisan could loom. Yes, in spite of being on the small side herself, Tanisan had a very definite tendency to loom. Her mother was always complaining about it. I hate it when you loom like that, she would say, as Tanisan stood over her, waiting for her coffee cup. Stop that looming! Well, let me put it this way, said the bug. You're not exactly built for speed and agility, are you? And as for those legs, well, <laughs> the less said about them, the better. What do you mean? asked a highly offended Tanisan, glancing down at her much maligned pins. Well, if they got any shorter, you could shove a couple of casters on them and pass yourself off as a Segway. I'm sorry to say it, but there it is. You have to play the cards you're dealt. Tanisan thought about this for a moment and was forced to admit the truth of it. She was at an obvious physical disadvantage when it came to cats, and now it seemed beetles as well. On those occasions when she had triumphed over them, it had been largely due to the benefits bestowed on her by science and technology. Exhibit 1, the famous catapult, which she had used to propel William and several unpleasant cheeses to some effect. And so it was to science and technology that she now turned in order to resolve her present difficulty. In one of the kitchen drawers, she kept a bumper pack of sticky bottoms, those adhesive pads that you fix to the backs of pictures and mirrors to avoid the use of hooks, screws and nails. She then dug out an old pair of sneakers and attached a couple of these pads to the soles of them. Taking it cautiously to begin with, Tanisan moved a kitchen chair over to the side of the room so that it was facing the wall. She then sat down on it and put on the sneakers, making sure to tie the laces with double knots so that they would not come undone while she was carrying out her first tentative wall-walk experiment. Once she was satisfied that the knots would hold, she placed her right foot against the wall from a sitting position, where it stuck quite firmly. Encouraged by this, she then did the same with the left, so that both feet were firmly attached to the kitchen wall. Now came the difficult part. With some effort, she managed to lift her right foot and set it down again further up. She then did the same with the left, and now, to her surprise, she found that she was no longer supported by the chair at all, but was actually standing perpendicular to the kitchen wall, looking straight up at the ceiling. Hey, hey, she called out to her tiny captive. Look at me, I'm doing it. Yes, yes, said the beetle, who was determined to be unimpressed. Very ingenious, I suppose. Tanisan took another awkward step towards the light fittings and found it a little easier this time. Now, this should have set the alarm bells ringing in her head, because it meant that the adhesive substance on the underside of the sticky bottoms was starting to lose strength. But she was far too preoccupied with her gravity-defying breakthrough to pay much attention to that. In fact, soon the bottoms were at their optimal stickiness. Not too sticky to inhibit movement, but just sticky enough to keep her attached to the wall. So she then decided to try one complete circuit of the kitchen, scrambling over cabinets and appliances as if they were all part of a sideways obstacle course. The postman, who had a small parcel for her that morning, inadvertently caught sight of her as she went running across the kitchen window, giggling hysterically. However, in the next instant, she came to an abrupt halt, as if she'd accidentally wandered into a minefield or something. 
Uh-oh, now you've gone and done it, said the beetle, which was quick to catch up on her predicament. What had happened was that Tanisan had stepped onto the wallpaper and knew straight away that as soon as she lifted either one of her feet, she would take a piece of it with her and lose half of her stickiness. Whether she would then remain attached to the wall would depend entirely on whether one sticky bottom was sufficient to carry all of her weight, a question that thousands of Americans must be asking themselves each and every day. So all she could do was to go on standing there at right angles to the vertical, halfway up the kitchen wall, and at a complete loss. My advice to you, said the beetle, which now found itself in the more enviable situation, if anything, is to make a dash for it. If you just go on standing there, it's only a matter of time before the wallpaper starts to tear under your weight. But if you start running now, you might just make it to that sofa in the corner where all those cushions and soft toys are. Tanisan looked towards the sofa in question and realised that it was her only option for a soft landing. So with not a moment to lose, she got herself into a sprinting stance. With a three, with a two, with a one, she said, bouncing up and down on her heels in time to the countdown. Then all at once she tore across the wallpaper at top speed. I use the word tore advisedly, for what actually happened was that she cut a ragged swathe across the wallpaper, taking a long streamer of it with her. This wrapped itself around her ankles and brought her down like a lassoed heifer. On the plus side, she did make it to the sofa, just, but then she bounced off at an odd angle and had to grab hold of the kitchen table to break her fall. This in turn upended, sending the beetle and the drinking glass sailing out through the kitchen window. If we don't learn from our mistakes, what hope is there? I can at least say that in Tanisan's case, she realised that sticky bottoms were not the answer to her problem. Springs were. Actually, that's not entirely true. She did continue to use the bottoms, only now they were supplemented by two large car springs purchased from her local garage. In light of what had happened during her initial experiment, she had decided that more consideration would have to be given over to health and safety this time round. So a battered baseball helmet and knee pads were extracted from the box of oddments in her downstairs closet. She then spent some time practising bouncing, first up and then, as tends to be the case, down in the back garden of her house, once again drawing the attention of the already freaked out postman. It was a very peculiar thing, she noted, but steady rhythmical bouncing of the type favoured here proved singularly conducive to a quiet mind, surprising that it hadn't caught on with the Buddhists. Indeed, it was during one of these prolonged bouncing sessions that she finally settled on how she was going to retrieve her smartphone, complete with compromising Bo Peep pictures from the unsavoury clutches of her feline frenemy. It was obvious, really. The first thing to do was to pinpoint its precise location. So once she was all kitted out in her gubbins, she rang the number on the landline and listened out for the ringtone. There it was, faintly emanating from somewhere outside the house. Tanisan bounced out into the back garden and cocked an ear. At first, she couldn't place the sound at all, though it was definitely closer now. But then she began to realise that it was coming from above. Her first thought was to look up to her bedroom balcony, but the ringtone didn't seem to be originating from that direction. So where else could it be, she wondered. 
more importantly, where would a cat put it? All at once, she did a complete 180 and looked up into the branches of the ginkgo tree. And perched on the fence just below it was the insufferable William, who had suddenly appeared from nowhere to regard her with a look of unabashed insolence. From that strangely objective place that Tanisan tended to occupy, she gazed right back at him, relishing every moment as they faced off from each other like two grizzled gunfighters in a spaghetti western. It was Tanisan who made the first move. Bouncing across the garden in three energetic hops, she launched herself up into the lower branches of the ginkgo tree, where she briefly caught sight of her pink phone wedged in the fork between two of its lower branches. Before she could grab it, however, William shot up the trunk and snatched it from her as she reached out on her third bounce. He then jumped onto the adjacent power lines and ran upside down along them with the phone clasped between his jaws until he came to the side of the house. In one gigantic leap, Tanisan bounded across the garden and ran up the side of the building thanks to her trusty sticky bottoms. As William skittered along the railing of her bedroom balcony at an angle of 90 degrees to the vertical, she intercepted him, grabbing hold of the other end of her phone and swinging him out away from the side of the house so that they cartwheeled through the air. For one frozen moment, they just hung there, slightly longer than when Wily E. Coyote goes over the cliff in a cartoon, but not as long as when a pair of those po-faced characters from The Matrix are halfway through a massive punch-up. Finally, though, gravity got the better of them, and they fell to earth, only to bounce up again in the next instant. Tanisan, thanks to the springs on her shoes, and William because of his recently acquired beetle skills. Using these same insect superpowers, he now took advantage of the phenomenon of water tension to leap from raindrop to raindrop as it suddenly began to pour down. And as each of the watery stepping stones fell away beneath his paws, he charted a higgledy-piggledy course across the sky until he finally ended up back on the roof of Tanisan's house. Now able to lift many times his own body weight, William tore off a large section of tiling and hurled it down at Tanisan, who was balancing on top of the washing line on the tip of one toe. I should explain, by the way, that this was her idea of a cool martial arts pose. One leg kicked out to the side, her arms extended like a pint-sized ballerina. Dodging the sizeable chunk of roofing as it went crashing through the fence and skidded to a halt in Mrs Nakajima's garden, Tanisan did a backward somersault off the clothesline, bounced off the ground and went ricocheting around the garden, picking up speed along the way. At just the right moment, she launched herself at William, snatched the phone from him as she hurtled past, bounced back off Mrs Kawano's roof and went shooting through the upstairs window of her own house, shutting it behind her as she went. Now, of course, none of what I've just described to you actually happened. That would be ridiculous. No, how it played out was like this. When William shot up the ginkgo tree and snatched the phone from Tanisan, she blundered about in the garden a bit in hot pursuit. In the course of so doing, she got tangled up in the washing line, bumped her head on the massive bra-hanging baskets, broke three of her best flower pots, and upended the garden table, before finally getting stuck in a hole in the fence, with her head poking out into the neighbour's yard and her bottom protruding into her own. When William saw how she was completely stuck, he dropped the smartphone just out of her reach and sat down beside it. Given the method by which she'd gone about entrapping him in the first place, 
The irony of her current situation did not escape him. Cats, unlike their simple-minded canine counterparts, have a highly developed sense of irony, and William had every intention of savouring this moment for all of its ironic qualities. So while Tanisan fussed and fretted mere centimetres away, he just sat there, eyeing her dispassionately before giving himself over to his favourite pastime. One of life's simpler pleasures, merely requiring a tongue, a cock leg and a part of the body that in most humans only sees daylight on special occasions. At the same time, Tanisan's angry protest drew the attention of another individual who had his own motive for revenge. Haruto Nakajima, the unpleasant ten-year-old who lived next door, had it in for Tanisan because she had once press-ganged him and a friend into building the catapult for her. So when he looked into her garden and saw her giant bloomers sticking out on that side of the fence, he immediately rushed back into his house to get his smartphone. Almost immediately, a series of images began to appear on the internet, along with the following caption. Fabulous bloom discovered in suburban garden attracts interest of botanists. The despicable squit even had the foresight to include her address underneath. And if you ever get a chance to examine the video clip that he posted online, you will see a funny little beetle scurrying about upside down along the surface of the pond in flagrant breach of the laws of nature. <laughs>